In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our Bible study from Psalm 102. Last time, we actually finished until verse 14. But let me just give you a quick introduction to this psalm. The psalm actually is split, or we can divide it into three sections. The first section is actually the prayer of the psalmist in which he describes the poor condition of himself and how he almost actually lost hope. That's the first part. Then starting from verse 12, he starts actually to reflect on how the Lord is gracious and how the Lord cares for his people. And the last verse that we finished last time, which is verse 14, he says, For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. And we said in the New Zion, in the Church of the New Testament, your servants are the apostles and their successors. The stones, as St. Peter said, we are living stones. The church is not just this building, but the church is us. And we are living stones in the church. So your servants, the apostles and their successors, take pleasure in her stones, take pleasures in the believers, meaning when they see how the believers are strong in their faith, they are growing every day in their love to God, they are taking pleasure in this. But also they show favor to her dust. And we said that the stones in this verse represent the steady and the perfect. So the servants taking pleasure in the believers who are steady, who are perfect, who are strong in their faith. And the dust represent the weak and the infirm. And as the psalmist said, show favor to her dust. Even the servants are showing favor to the dust, the weak and the infirm. As Saint Paul said, receive one who is weak in the faith. In Romans chapter 14, he encouraged the believer to receive the person who is weak like dust, to receive him and to accept him and to support him. And also in Romans 15 verse 1, Saint Paul said, We then who are strong, the stones, ought to bear with the scrubbles of the weak 
and not to please ourselves. So we need to bear the weaknesses, the scruples of the weak, of the dust, and not to please ourselves. In the same meaning in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 29, St. Paul says, Who is weak and I am not weak? The weakness of other is my own also personal weakness. St. Paul as an apostle felt the weakness of other as if its own weakness. Then in verse 15, explaining to us how can we see the glory of God. He said, So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. The restoration of mercy to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the church of the Jews. Is only the first part of a much larger work among the nations. Yes, Christ started among the Jews. The early church started among the Jews. But as we read in the book of Acts, the apostles, they started to go to the whole world. So the restoration of Jerusalem, which is the new church in Jerusalem, is just the first part of a larger work when all the Gentiles believe in the name of the Lord. That's why he said, so the nations, the Gentiles, the whole world shall fear the name of the Lord, not only Israel, but everyone, and all the kings of the earth, your glory, like King Constantine and others. God would so reveal himself that all the kings of the earth would honor his name and glory. And actually, by the fourth century, all the world, all the world was Christian. And the beginning of the fifth century, until year 451, when the first split happened in the Council of Chelsea. So, the surrounding people who are surrounding Israel and Jerusalem, who hear what God has done for his people in Jerusalem, will see the evidence that he is God and learn to love and worship him. And that is how actually all the Gentiles joined the faith and were added to the church of God. God's manifestation of his power and his faithfulness toward his people will win the reverence of all the nations, of all the world. This also is the fundamental thought in Isaiah from chapter 40 to chapter 66. As you know, Isaiah is divided into two parts. The first 39 chapters like the Old Testament. But from chapter 40 to the end of the book of Isaiah like the New Testament, it's about the Messiah, 
So when you read from 40 to 66, it is the work of the Messiah in the Church of the New Testament. When the new Zion shall be in progress of building, and until now actually God is building his church, and until now we see the Gentiles are converted, and the Gentiles shall fear with a holy fear and sincere veneration the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see until now how non-Christian join Christianity, converted to Christianity, and fear and venerate the name of the Lord. Verse 16 and 17 are in close connection with verse 15. In verse 15 is speaking about how all the nations and all the kings of the Lord fear the name of the Lord and his glory. Verse 16, for the Lord shall build up Zion. And as I told you, until now the church is still built up. God is adding to the church every day those who are saved. He shall appear in his glory. So the nations will offer reference to God when he has manifested his glory in the redemption of his people. Who can believe that God becomes man in order to save us? Who believes that God carries our sins on the cross in order to save us? Who believes that God, after being buried, he rose from the dead on the third day? So the kings and the kingdoms of the world honor God because he reveals himself in his work toward Zion. Zion is a church. His blessing and mercy to Jerusalem after we were under the sentence of death. Now he set us free. He carried the sentence of death instead of us in order to show mercy and to show love toward us. So his blessing and mercy to Jerusalem are a foretaste of his goodness to all the earth. The Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate, the translation here, because the Lord has built up Zion. Actually, it is like the Arabic. In Arabic, Arabic, يعني وهو ربنا بيبني الكنيسة مجد ربنا هيظهر. The Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate the same way. Because God, because the Lord has built up Zion, He shall appear in His glory. Also this translation because the Lord has built up Zion is the most natural and correct translation of the Hebrew. And the Arabic actually kept the correct translation. The reference in verse 16 is in the future. What do I mean by in the future? The psalmist is talking here about the future. When God is building up the church, then his glory is manifested before 
the people. But the psalmist talk here as something that has already taken place because he is speaking in a prophetic way. So uh, as if already the church has been built and the glory of God is manifested. So see why all the nations and all the kings shall fear the glory of Christ. Why? Because the Lord shall build up Zion. So the Lord built up Zion, his glory is manifested, then all the kings and all the nations of the earth that shall fear the glory of God. Also when we see in the present days how Christ having established his church in spite of all kings and nations from the onset of Christianity for 2000 years how many kings tried to destroy Christianity how many emperors tried to destroy Christianity persecution killing of millions of Christians but as the Lord said the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it so here when the Lord is building up Zion in spite of all the persecutions all the attacks on the church when the people see this they will see the glory of God so they shall fear his name and fear his glory also the second part in verse 16 we can take it in about the parousia about the second coming of the Lord when he says he shall appear in his glory means in the time to come when he comes with all his angels in the clouds of heaven with great power to judge the world verse 17 he shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayers the psalmist walks through what he knows about God although as I told you in the first verses of this psalm from verse 1 to 11 he spoke about how he is miserable in his life as if God has forsaken him completely but in, in verse 17 he is speaking about his knowledge about God what he knows about God he knows that God does not despise the prayer of the destitute yes at this point the psalmist circumstances has not changed but he finds comfort not in personal relief but in seeing God's work at a larger scale although his circumstances did not change he is not relieved from his circumstances but he is seeing God's work for the church so he is comforted by God's work in his church in the salvation of mankind although his own personal situation and circumstances did not change knowing that God is enthroned forever 
shapes the way he thinks about Zion and also about his circumstances. So even if I'm going through a difficult time, this will not change my perception about God. God shows by thus building up Zion that he does regard prayer, regard the prayer of the destitute, that he hears the supplications of his people. That's why he is building up Zion. St. Augustine says, the work of building up Zion is going on now. Oh, you living stones, as I told you, living stone is us. Run to the work of building, not to the ruin. So St. Augustine is saying, are you contributing to the building of the church or into the ruin of the church? Zion is in building. Beware of the ruined walls. The tower is building. The ark is in building. Remember the flood. There is flood outside while the church is being built. The work is in progress now. But when Zion is built, what will happen? God will appear in his glory. So when he finishes the building of the church, he will come. He was seen by Zion in the church, but not in his glory. But truly, when he shall have come with his angels to judge the world, shall they not look then upon him whom they have pierced? The non-believers and the ungodly, they will look at him whom they pierced by their sins, and they shall be put to confusion when too late, who refused confusion in early and healthful repentance. Those who refuse healthful repentance, they will be confused in the last days. Verse 18, this will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. So he is speaking here about people not yet born in the future. So the psalmist goes on to address a future generation not yet born. God's goodness to Zion and the whole earth is a testimony for the future so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. So when he wrote this hundreds of years ago, we were not born yet, but what he wrote actually is fulfilled in us. The mercy of God in restoring his people to their own land and city must be recorded in writing. So the restoration of the Israelites from Egypt to the Promised Land or from the captivity of Babylon to their land. So the mercies of God in restoring his people to their own land, their own city, the psalmist said, this should be recorded in writing. As his past mercies have been for the edification of future generations. That's why in Midnight Praises, every time we speak about how God restored the Israelites from 
Egypt to the Promised Land. How he delivered the three young men from the furnace fire. Why we remember this every day? It's for our edification, for the edification of future generations. God will be worshipped not just by the nations, the contemporary nations, but by generations, from generation to generation, as we say in the Divine Liturgy, as it was and shall be from generation to generation. So what it was and what shall be, it is the glory, the veneration of the name of the Lord, the veneration of the glory of God, as His name was glorified, as His glory was venerated, then it will be venerated from generation to generation under the age of all ages. So what was to be recorded for the generation to know is God's salvation for His people. So when we record God's salvation of His people, the future generation will read it and they will glorify and honor His name. Verse 19, For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven the Lord viewed the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death. The prisoners, either those who are imprisoned by their sins or those who were in Hades, those appointed to death because of their sins, all of us were under the sentence of death. So the psalmist pictured God bending down low from heaven to see and to view the earth. God had not yet looked down upon his people when the psalmist was writing because he wrote before the incarnation of the Son of God. And this is clear from verse 13, when he said, You will arise and have mercy on Zion in the future, for the time to favor her, to favor Zion, is the time has come. So he's speaking here about the incarnation. So when he wrote this psalm, the Lord was not incarnate yet. He did not look down, looking down being incarnate. But he will assuredly, he will, when he wrote this psalm as a prophecy, he has confidence that God will assuredly look down upon his people. And his renewed regard will be the occasion and theme of their thanksgiving when he delivered us from the sentence of death. St. Augustine says, He has looked down from on high that he might come unto the humble. From on high he has become humble that he may exalt the humble. So God humbled himself in order to lift us, to exalt us. God has lowered himself to look down from his holy place on high on this place of our wretchedness. We cannot lift ourselves up. That's why God became Son of Man in order to make us 
children of God. God, not with an indifferent eye, but with a view to let himself down to be seen on earth and to converse with them. What do I mean by this? So not as prideful, arrogant person looking down on lowly people, no. God looked down with compassion, looked down so all of us, we can see him, that he is coming to deliver us and to save us. He looked at us with an eye of love, grace, and mercy. God heard the cries of his people, for they were destined for death before the Lord intervened. All of us were under sentence of death since the fall of Adam and Eve. And people were crying, asking God to deliver them. And God heard the cries of his people. God is bending down low from heaven to hear the groaning of the prisoner and to act to release those appointed to death. Prisoners, those in Hades, they were taken captive by Satan. In sin, we are imprisoned by our sins and our addiction. Verse 20 is an echo of the prayer in previous psalm, like Psalm 79, 11, also in Isaiah 42, 7, and Isaiah 61, verse 1. God Almighty humbled himself to hear the groaning of the prisoner imposed upon them by Satan, the prince of darkness. Those who are held in captivity by Satan, that God will, on hearing their groans, free them from the captivity of Satan. And this was accomplished as the Lord himself testifies by his own coming. As we read in Luke 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 21, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. So the Lord came, he was incarnate and became man to break the bonds of those that were in bondage, bondage of sin and to rescue them from the power of darkness and that they may declare the name of the Lord in Zion. Now the believers come to Zion, to the church, and they declare the name of the Lord, they praise Him. By their faith in the true and living God, they may glorify the name of the Lord in the church, which is the spiritual Zion, which He repeats when He says, and his praise in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the church, Zion is the church. To proclaim that the first offers of mercy 
might be made to the Jews. He came to his own people and from whom, from the church in Jerusalem, the word of reconciliation was to go out to all the ends of the earth. So the church started in Jerusalem as book of Acts, chapter 1 where in Jerusalem, the last chapter in the book of Acts were in Rome. So the church started in Jerusalem but spread to the capital of the Roman Empire, symbolizes to the whole world. Israel will not return alone. Its restoration will be the signal for the gathering of the nations, the whole world to worship God in Jerusalem in the church. When the people are gathered together, when all the Gentiles are enlightened and the kings of the earth brought to pay reverence to the King of Kings. So the psalmist started by crying out to the Lord to save him from his affliction. As I told you in the first verses, he was speaking about his own affliction. But as the Lord heard his prayer, he now presents to him his heart desire that the nations and the people would receive faith in the Savior. This was the desire of the psalmist in a prophetic way, and God answered his prayer. He supplicates not only to liberate the people from the Babylonian captivity, but to liberate all humanity from the captivity of the devil and the sin. Verse 23, now he is going back to his own affliction, to his own suffering. In verse 23, he, God, weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. So the psalmist began this psalm by recognizing his own weakness from verse 1 to 11. Then he praised God for his deliverance and ultimate victory. That's from verse 12 to 22. Now in the last section of the psalm, starting from verse 23 to 28, he confessed once again his weakness and frailty. He shortened my days. He reflects again on his mortality and how his life is short and limited. In addition, the psalmist recognizes that it was God who either caused or allowed his weakness and frailty. So, according to the psalmist, God either allowed or is the reason of his, the shortness of his life and the weakness. He weakened my strength in the way he shortened my days. Life for him and for many of us has been a difficult journey for him. God had taken his strength away, had weakened him, humbled him, brought him law by sorrow. He would not survive to see with his own eyes the glory which 
he knows is to be revealed. All what he prophesied about the victory of Zion, he, he will not see it because his days are shortened. Men of old covenant have longed so fervently for the coming of the Savior of the world that became frail. As St. Paul mentioned, all of them did not see the fulfillment of the promises, but they saw it from far off in a prophetic eye. It did not live until the fulfillment of the promises. Overwhelmed by both his sense of great weakness and affliction, and by the awareness of God's greatness and ultimate victory, the psalmist cried out in prayer, pleading for God's merciful help. So he's saying, you are victorious, you are capable, you are God, I know you can. So have mercy upon me, don't take me in the midst of my days. Oh my God, who has so graciously begun our deliverance, don't take me away in the midst of my days, before it be completely finished, but let me see your promise fulfilled in me. And then he compared between his life that's short and limited and God. Your years are throughout all generation. You are from infinite to infinite, from eternity to eternity. So your years are throughout all generation, which are not as men's year of the same measure of na or number, but the years of God are boundless infinite there is no boundary so this verse is expressive of the eternity of god the eternity of christ which the psalmist opposes to his own frailty so i am weak my days are short but you are eternal this is a ground of consolation when we know that god his years from eternity to eternity, this will give me comfort. That God was ever the same. That whatever might happen to people, God is unchanged. That his great plans would be carried forward and accomplished no matter what. Verse 25, of old you laid the foundations of the earth. You are the creator. You laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your, of your hands. They will perish, heaven and earth will pass away, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And St. Paul actually quoted these verses in Hebrews chapter 1. So the psalmist now compares God to heaven and earth, compares the Creator to His creation. The psalmist proves that God alone is eternal from the fact of His being alone absolute unchangeable. Maybe we see earth and heaven as permanent, but they are not. And he proves that God 
is unchangeable from the fact of his having brought the heaven from non-existent to existence heaven were not existed did not exist before earth did not exist before we read in the first verse in Genesis in the beginning God created heaven and earth so he created them from nothing from non-existence he brought them to existence but God always remains the same without any change and what it is said of the heavens apply to all creation and as I told you verse 25 to 27 are quoted in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10 to 12 as the words of God the Father unto his son the Messiah as the son father is speaking to the Messiah in the Hebrew text the psalmist says verse 25 to 27 to God so according to the Hebrew text as if these verses about God the Father but the idea that God himself speak these words is more clear in the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew which St. Paul quoted in Hebrew so according to the Hebrew text these verses about God the Father but according to the Septuagint these verses God the Father are saying to his son Jesus Christ that's why St. Paul quoted them in Hebrew chapter 1 as if God the Father is speaking to the son so according to the Septuagint the father is here replying to the son through him all things were made through the son all things were made that's why he said to the son heaven and earth whom you created will pass away but you are eternal St. Paul is declaring that the son point to Jesus this Psalm 102 and he views these words as spoken by the Father to Jesus Christ so the contrast between the Creator and creation was very clear to the psalmist the mighty God is eternal throughout all generations and can do all things you laid the foundation of the earth the things God creates will perish heaven and earth will perish but he himself will endure you will change them God will change them the psalmist thought here is rather of the shortness and brevity of heaven and earth when we contrast them with the eternity of God then of the new heaven and new earth we read in the book of Revelation that God will create a new heaven and new earth God has complete power over creation including the power to change the heavens as he pleases so God has the power to change heavens as he pleases but God himself is unchanging you are the same and eternal your years will have no end so he said creation is like changing clothes you put off something and you put on something else God however will remain and be the same he doesn't merely just exist forever but God does not change 
So not only God is eternal, but He is unchangeable, immutable. God cannot increase, grow, or improve. He is the same. Changes are made with a view to further attainments, which does not apply to God. Why changes happen? For further attainment, progress, improvement. But this does not apply to God. He being most pure, most perfect, even infinitely perfect, and therefore cannot acquire nothing. He cannot increase, he cannot grow, he cannot grow, or he cannot improve. Because he is perfect. Then the last verse, verse 28, the children of your servant will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. So the psalmist ended his prayer and ended the psalm with a note of confidence and triumph. His affliction seems to have remained and he does not proclaim hope for his present trouble, that God will deliver him from his present trouble. But at the same time, he is utterly confident of God's goodness and ultimate victory for his people, your servants. That's why he said, the children of your servant will continue. If the psalmist did not see it in his own days, so maybe I will not see deliverance from my affliction in my days, but my children surely will see this deliverance and their descendants will be established by God's goodness and strength. So this is a remarkable declaration of trust in God's promise to make all things right and good. If not in our time, then in the days to come. It shows a wonderful progression in this psalm. Where is the progression? He began with an honest declaration of his own misery. Then he looked outside of himself to the community. Then he looked outside the community to the whole world. Then he looked outside his time to future generation. So you see progression? He looked at himself, then at his community, then to the world, then to future generations. And it is remarkable that the psalmist does not draw the conclusion that he himself shall receive an answer of his prayer. He did not say, you know, you will deliver me before I die. But he is confident that if this deliverance did not happen in his days, the children of your servant will see this deliverance. We may say that the servant of God, he represents the patriarchs. Their sons represent the apostles. Patriarch means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And their sons represent the apostles. And their sons again represent all other Christians. So when he said the children of your servant, mean the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will continue. The spiritual children. And their descendants, the apostles, will be established before you. So the servant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
children of your servant are the apostles and their descendants are us, the Christian will be established before you. This actually concludes Psalm 102. Glory be to God forever and ever.